at that point, when I saw that you really weren't going to come back to that modest way of dressing, at least according to my standards of modesty, I felt, sorry to be dramatic, but I felt like a knife was being plunged into deep into my heart. guys, it's your girl Nahama, your favorite Jew from the Lou. Welcome to episode one. So I honestly couldn't start this episode without interviewing the most important person in my life, which is my mom. Aww. Welcome, Ma. Say hi. Thank you. Hi. Okay. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, today's topic is a really fun one. It's one that we are constantly talking about. It's a conversation that's constantly evolving, and we really think that it's going to be very impactful for everyone who listens. Agreed. So what we're going to talk about today is our journey, and we feel like a lot of you out there is going to relate to this because parents raise their kids with a set of values hoping to pass on and create a legacy for generations. And nowadays, more than ever before, we're seeing people in high school or their early 20s start to kind of veer away from organized religion and from the values that they were raised in. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that's due to trauma and sometimes it's just due to evolving. It's just the nature of it. And so growing up, I grew up in a very Jewish Orthodox household and both my brothers are still religious. I have cousins who are very religious. My parents are religious. I mean, my dad converted to Orthodox Judaism. So he he went all the way. And so I really was completely surrounded by a very tight-knit community. And growing up on the outside looking in, people would look at me and think that I was the golden girl. No one would ever assume that I would ever grow up and not be religious at all. And so we're just going to jump right in there. And Ma, we're going to start right into those emotions. Okay. Well, like you said, the boys remain very religious. And since you were my third child, I just assumed, yeah, you're going to be religious too. I brought you up in the same home that I brought them up in and with the same values and sent you to a very religious school. As a matter of fact, your school was uh, more to the right than the school that I sent the boys to for grade school. And you seemed like you were just, you know, going with the flow and at peace with it. And so when high school and even through high school, you seemed like you were at peace with it. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that you were actually having an internal battle and sometimes crying at night, which I wasn't even aware of. And so when you, shortly after you graduated high school, maybe a year after, things started to change. Slowly, slowly, the way you dress started to change. First, it was the length, I don't remember if it was the length of your sleeves or the length of your dresses and skirts. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yes. Like we, we're still having a difference of opinion, whether it was the famous pink dress or the famous purple dress. Both of those are beautiful, but yes, they were above the knee, about two inches above the knee. And I thought, okay, well, it's only two inches above the knee. 
it's still mod. She still has a mod. It still has a modest neckline, and her sleeves are still modest. So okay, all right, we're good. But then slowly the sleeves got shorter, and then the neckline went lower. And at that point, I I first I tried talking to my daughter about like you know you should look up on YouTube or just go to stores and you'll see that there are still very modest fashions today. Like in my day, we had a very limited array, but now there is more of a variety. But you didn't, you just weren't holding there. And at that point, when I saw that you really weren't going to come back to that modest way of dressing, at least according to my standards of modesty, I felt, sorry to be dramatic, but I felt like a knife was being plunged into deep into my heart. Right. And to be fair, um, before anyone out there thinks that she's just being a dramatic mother, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's just say that, you know, I'm in a really good place right now in terms of the fact that while I may not consider myself religious, I really respect the Orthodox community. And I have no ill will against them at all. It's And I also have a really deep faith in God, or in Hebrew, we refer to him as Hashem. And I think that the reason why it was so hard for you initially was because there was a stage in the initially when I stopped being as religious where I was very angry. Yes. And I was angry against people in the community, not specifically like against specific people, just I just was wanting to, I needed to be away from everyone, you know? Right. And you were also angry at God and, and mm -hmm. you didn't want to like have anything to do with, with him. And in terms of the commandments, I don't know if in the beginning, I mean, I think to some level you were holding there that you had a desire to do some of them, but it took a while till you got to the level where you, you were looking for more meaning and beauty coming from that angle as opposed to because God said so or because it's written in the Torah? So let's let's start at the beginning because, like I said, I grew up in a community where everyone was religious. My, everyone who I went to school with, all my friends, you know, our family members, everyone who I was surrounded by was this way. And, you know, I was curious and I maybe wanted to, like, try different things and maybe not be so by the book. But I was always a romantic since I was a little kid, and there definitely was a lot of pressure in the community for girls right. specifically where you had to be perfect, seemingly so, right? Because if right. you wanted the best guy, you need to be the best girl. And I was like, well, hell, I'm, I'm not going to get like anything but the best. <laughs> so I'm literally just going to ignore what maybe feels natural to me. And I took it to the extreme. Like I take accountability for that. I definitely took it to the extreme. And I would say starting in seventh grade is about the time when it stopped being something that was meaningful and intentional for me. But I just want to point out here that you still were going on that path of a very religious Jew. Correct. Because it was the way that I was on externally. Yes. Like internally, I had shifted from doing things because it was what I believed and because it was meaningful to me. And I did it because that's what everyone else was doing. And I did it because I didn't want to be judged. And then in high school, I was on an academic scholarship. So I got a full free ride all four years. 
And I, I didn't want to bring shame to the family. I had so much respect for you guys, and I didn't want to be the black sheep or whatever, you know? Thank you. Also, I think that, you know, you've mentioned through many conversations that we've had that, you know, because your father converted to Judaism, mm -hmm. right? So you felt like, how can I do this to him? Exactly. You know, because he gave up so much when right. I was his only child from the, the Jewish marriage. And so it's like, here I am supposed to be his legacy and here I am wanting something so different. It's a lot of pressure. And it's really scary when you grow up in a community where there is one way to be successful. And then there, if you don't follow that way, you feel like you're subpar. And that's not true. That is not the case. Right. That is not what Judaism is. But there are unfortunately individuals who do make you feel that way. And I do want to clarify that in the Bible, in the Old Testament itself, it talks about how the Jewish people, when they were crossing the Red Sea to get out of Egypt, they there's an opinion that they weren't going down one pathway when the sea split. There were 12 individual pathways for each tribe because each tribe had its own set of values, even though, you know, in the end, it all unified to God and to Torah. But they had their own personalities and their own feelings and their own way of reaching that goal. And so, you know, we learn from this that we have to respect each and every person's unique path. Right. There's no, to sum it up, there's no one right way to do life, to be a good Jew. And you can find your way about doing things. Um, unfortunately for me, there were so many years where I went to a very intense high school where we were expected to be of the highest caliber. I put the stress on myself. I'm a recovering type A. <laughs> and for me, even now where sometimes maybe I'll lean towards, you know, I kind of miss certain traditions and I'll, and I'll start doing them again. I get such PTSD where I just feel like I, I feel like I'm being smothered. And it's unfortunate, but it is true. And it makes me a little sad sometimes. But the thing is, is that that's the difference, right? Like if something is meaningful for you, even if it to other people might seem hard, it just, it's beautiful. It's a way of life. It's, it just gives you so much purpose and mission. But if it's imposed on you, if you're doing it out of fear of what others are going to think of you, if you're doing it because you want to appear a certain way, then it feels like you're suffocating because you're not being your authentic version of you. Right. So began the journey where I'm like, I was first unhappy. It wasn't a journey where it was like intentional. Oh, no. So the year I was 23, I was working at a, my first job out of college and I was by the little coffee section by our, our little break room and I was pouring some hot water for tea and I was kind of spacing out. I wasn't really looking. And... I looked down and the hot water was pouring directly over my hand and I couldn't feel it. Scary. I didn't feel the pain. I had reached a point where I was so numb that I couldn't feel physical pain. And that's when I realized that something had to change. And I remember trying to explain this to you. I said, I don't feel anything. I'm like, I don't feel angry. I don't feel sad. I don't feel happy. I don't feel anything. And I don't think you really knew to handle that i 
Definitely did not, which is why we got into a lot of um, very heated conversations. We didn't, though. Not at that point. Well, not at, at that, that point. At that point, I was still on the outside living a very religious lifestyle. I was just saying emotionally I don't feel anything. And, um, you know, I had this expectation that I would just, like, marry this dream guy super young. Thank God that didn't happen. I think it would have been a disaster. Yeah, well, also because you wouldn't have been your true authentic self. No. I mean, sadly, there are sometimes, I'm not saying nobody should get married at a young age, but for some people, it sometimes what happens is, is they get married at a young age, they really don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden they realize who they are, you know, many years down the road in their marriage. And, you know, it, God forbid, it, it could lead to a divorce because like they just, they can't live this lifestyle. Right. It's not authentic to them. Right. You know, I, there's obviously like, if it's meant, I'm a big believer that if something's meant for you, it will be. Sure. So if you meet your person at a young age, then you are meant to be like, it's not a bad way right. of living. It's just... I'm very grateful looking back at how I've developed and grown as a person that that wasn't my journey. I'm so incredibly grateful for that. As am I. Um, but what happened was is I would have these long commutes in the car um, and on the way to and from work. And that kind of became my my place where I talked to God. Not an organized prayer, not something someone else wrote for me, not in Hebrew where, you know, I understand Hebrew, but it's not the same as English, which is my right. native tongue. Right. And then I would literally just talk to, to Hashem, to God, like normal. And in the past, I used to think that if I was going to pray for something, I needed to be absolutely perfect. And for the first time, I was just real with God. I was, I cursed him out and I screamed at him and it felt glorious. Sorry if I've offended anyone, but it was so real. It was so real and so raw. But you should know Hashem, like God, he appreciates when a person is real, when they're calling out to him. And so I went on this journey and I decided that for me, what I was going to do is we got to start with foundations. And for me, foundation was back to having a good relationship with God for the first time, something that was Beautiful. real, something that was authentic, having faith in God. And then... From there, I was only going to keep the things in Judaism that were meaningful for me. So there's still a lot of things, like obviously I was raised religious. There's still a lot of like, I understand the meaning and the beauty behind why we do things. So if something's meaningful for me, it's still a part of who I am. I haven't completely just given up that part of who I am. But there are certain things that like at this point in my life, I'm not doing because... And initially, that was hard for me to accept. It was very hard. It took hard. me a very, very long time to not be sad about it, to not be upset about it. But I think what the turning point for me was, is when I just saw, all of a sudden, it just hit me one day, you were so at peace mm -hmm. and so happy. And I, you know, you used to be this intense, tight, bald up person. And when I saw that, it's like, oh my God, she's beautiful. Not just outside, but inside too. And it's like, I like this Nechama. It's true. Because I remember being intentional. And like, I think I was like 24, 25. And I was like, mom, I'm a chill person. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> There's like, in what world would I ever describe you as chill? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you'll see. It's like, <laughs> okay. But I think... I'm, I am very much like that now where I'm yes. very go with the flow and I'm not uptight and I'm very accepting of people of all walks of life. Which is a beautiful place to be. Mm -hmm. 
And I think like a big part of this conversation that we wanted to have and the reason why we decided to open up to the world about it is because it's a very difficult place to be, especially like as adults, because I still live at home, right? A lot of people, when like they kind of go on a different path than their parents, they move out. Yeah, they move out or they're kicked out. Right. Yeah. Which you did try to kick me out a lot. That was really for a different reason, but we're not getting into that in this podcast. <laughs> no, but that, one of the reasons many times was because of religious stuff. Well, I did say there was there were like three things that if you cross the line on those three things that, yeah, I was going to kick you out. But you know what? I remember Aunt Sheba said to me, are you really going to kick her out if she does that? And I go, oh, ah, that's a good question if I'm really thinking about it seriously. And I didn't end up kicking you out for it. Right. Yeah. And so like just this is kind of connected, but I also think this is an interesting conversation to have. Something that I've been fascinated about recently was, you know, I'm 27 and I still live at home. And I think obviously, you know, if you want to move away from home, like obviously do it if you can afford to. And if it's best for you, do it. I do recognize that not all kids should be living with their parents. Like it's sometimes it truly is for the best right. that you are not under the same roof. There's a myriad of reasons. And like, we really do have a great opportunity here where we are both mentally sane <laughs> and we love and appreciate each other and we're so yes. close and I think a big part of the reason why I was so scared to step away from Judaism the way that I have is because I am so close with my mom that I was like I don't really care about anyone else sorry but like my mom <laughs> is my person this is a relationship that I want to fight for with you it's not fighting Beautiful. with you. I want to fight for with you. And so for me, um, when I was little, I was bullied. And as a mom, you were very overprotective. And you're like, I'm sending her to a different school. I'm going to homeschool her. We tried getting me to move up to a, a different class so that I wouldn't be around the same girls. And uh, the principal at the time, uh, she said, you don't run away from your problems. And it was very difficult because I was bullied from second through eighth grade. Yeah. But that is something that has stuck with me and has made me so resilient and has given me so much grit throughout my life to the point now as like a young adult when you have tried to kick me out because you were frustrated and you're like, well, look at this friend and look at this friend. They moved away. They're not living with their parents anymore. And I would have to remind you, okay, but look at the relationship. Did the relationship get better when they moved out? Not no. really. They weren't no. fighting as much because they weren't under each other's faces. Like it wasn't being shoved in their face. Right. But that didn't cure the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. I looked at you and I said, we don't run away from our problems. We're going to fix this. And I don't care if we fight. And so – our fights, we would always start trying to be logical, right? We'd talk to each other and then someone would start yelling at the other one. And then the next thing you know, someone realizes they're hurt and then we're both crying. And then we get to this point where it was like emotionally exhausting. But like, I felt like we had reached a point where we were like, okay, we don't necessarily agree, but we at least understand each other. Right. And, and sometimes at the end, even we'd end up like hugging, usually most Yeah, times. usually. We we end fights very well. Yeah. We're emotional and random, yeah. but we're we like end Italians. them well. We're like Italians. We're very emotional. But I will say that what was so frustrating was that for years, it'd be like every single week, just when I thought we'd you finally understood, <laughs> True. there'd be something that would trigger you. And 
round two, round three, round four. Like it just wouldn't stop. And I was just like, oh, like get it already. And I'm sure there's a lot of like people out there who can agree and feel this way with their parents too, where it's just like, you try to have these logical conversations. You try to be like, okay, you don't have to accept my lifestyle, but at least, at least just hear me out. Right. Right. But I think, like I said before, what really did it was just looking at your face, seeing that glow and just the way you walked with the spring in your step, like that just did it for me. It's it, like every was mother, parts. every mother, whether it's on the surface or deep down, are both want their child to be happy yeah, and want their child to feel fulfilled and whole. And that's what I was seeing. And I think part of the challenge for parents as well is that, you know, you've raised this child since they were little babies and you've had all these hopes and dreams for them and you've seen this potential in them, right? But in the end of the day, they are their own independent yes. individual person. Yeah, that was a big piece of it. And like yeah. you have to learn to love your child for who they are, not for who you want them to be. Very well said. Yeah. And I agree. But I'm not saying it's easy. No. And we still get into it. Don't think that this is like- Very rarely though. We're, we're better now. We are better now. Yeah. But I'm saying like- it's not perfect. That's just the way relationships are. Right. But like, I just, I just wanted to get into that for a moment, talking back to about like living with your parents. Um, I think there's this stigma in the U.S. and you don't really see it anywhere else in the world where people are like, no, like if you live with your parents when you're over a certain age, you're a loser and get your shit together. And I just think that's so sad. And I think that they're has to be a connection with the fact that there is more mental illness and depression and suicide in my generation and previous generations and in other places around the world. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people are very lonely and they're forced to go out on their own without having that sense of family and community to fall back on. Now, like I said, I understand there are unhealthy homes that you absolutely should not be in. But it it's just for me... You know, my my father has dementia and we're super close. And I just feel like we have a really beautiful opportunity where, yes, we learn to navigate our religious differences. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, I also feel like, you know, God willing, there will come a day when I move out, whether it's just I feel ready to move out or maybe I meet the person who I'm going to be with and then I move out, right? Um, maybe I'll wait till marriage. Maybe I'll do it before. We'll see. <laughs> But either way, like right now, these memories that I'm learning as an adult, it's so unique because it's not a lot of, I know a lot of people who move out because like their parents treat them like kids, right? Mm -hmm. And we definitely went through that where it's yeah. like there'd be certain things that you, the way that you would interact with me is because you're remembering how I would react when I was 12, right. not how I would react when I'm 27. Right. And so we'd have to have those hard conversations and we learn to navigate that. But I feel like we are so much stronger. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I think we've definitely bonded more mm -hmm. over the years as we've resolved these differences, whether they be religious or otherwise. Yeah. And like it really comes down to compromise, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, like I one of the things that I love about living at home is I'm just a family girl. I'm a homebody. I love coming home to people who love me. I love to be able to get like hugs whenever I'm sad. Mm -hmm. I love that, you know, it's so funny because I know there's people who are like, oh, one of the things that's so annoying about living at home as an adult is like your parents want to know where you are. And it's like, 
personally, I have always loved that they that you like want to know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Why is it a big deal to text you and be like, hey, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'll be back when I'm back. Right. You know? And I think the reason why it works is because you don't say to me, oh, you know what? You can't go out. Make sure you're back by midnight or whatever. Like, you just let me do my thing. Mm-hmm. And as long as I let you know where I'm at. Right. Just so I'm I know like, you're safe. Yeah. Just let you know I'm not dead. All is well. I'll see you when I see you. Right. And I think that's the reason why this works. And this, yeah. And this also works because I give you your independence. I know that Mm -hmm. one of my friends who was over here recently, like she commented on that. She goes, that's why it's working with you too. She goes like, if I had either of my daughters living with me, we'd probably kill each other. Right. And then also it's like, I think people assume that if you live at home as an adult, like, oh, you must be getting free everything. So yeah, true. I don't pay like rent and utilities. Right. But- I've been paying for my own food since I was 20. I do my own cooking. I quite literally have my own fridge. Yes, because she likes to cook. Although I will <laughs> say she does go in my fridge and clean it a lot. That's my OCD. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm not mad about it. I mean, it's kind of nice sometimes. <laughs> but, um, you know, but I also am cognizant of the fact that, like, you are still Orthodox and very much so, and it's very important to you. And so, like, you keep kosher mm-hmm. perfectly. And so, I make sure to keep everything kosher at home. Yeah. Because I'm not going to mess up your no, religion. Right, like, that's, that's what not I explained fair. to you. It's like if, if you have something, I don't know, some non-kosher cheese and you put it on a kosher plate, well, now, and you put it in the sink and I also have a fork in there and a cup in there. Well, that, that just messed up a whole bunch of stuff. Right. So um, I, I appreciate that you respect, you know, those kosher standards in the house. Right. And I think that's something really important that people have to realize when they're navigating having different values than someone where it's like, just make sure that you are not imposing your new values on other people. Other people's values are still important and they still matter. Right. And just like, you know, you want me to respect your values, like you want me to respect our values as well, being that you're living at home. You know what I'm saying? Because there could be a lot of conflict that, you know, yeah. But diving into what you said earlier about how, like, you saw that I was so peaceful and I was so happy, um, I wasn't in the beginning. That was definitely something, no, aside from navigating our relationship, right. I also really worked on trying to find my inner peace and my inner right. happiness. And so right. I think that's a big part of it, too. Like, because I was on this journey to be so authentic, when we got to a point where, you recognized it too. I didn't have to say it. I didn't have no, to shove it in all. your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's just a really good message that no matter what you're trying to do, whether it's health or business or religion, or you're trying to change something about yourself, like, yeah, when you're excited about something and it's new, you talk about it a lot. But it's more important to walk the walk because when you're successful, it speaks for itself. Absolutely. And um, I really am grateful for you that – you are so understanding and that you love me for who I am. I think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to ask. I mean, you kind of breezed over and you said you just saw how happy I was. But like, for real though, how did you do it? How did you handle that? Because I'm your only girl and it you, couldn't have been easy. It was totally not easy. But I reminded myself that you are my only girl. Every mother dreams of having at least one daughter and you you were it. You're everything to me. And I just, 
realized that it was super important because I wanted us to continue to have a beautiful relationship as we've always had, that I needed to accept you for where you're at. And that doesn't mean, like you said before, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong. You know, we're, we're doing what's right for each of us as right. individuals. And while it may not be ideal for what you may have hoped. I've kind of gotten over that expectation thing. Yeah. And I think I, we've had a few conversations where it's so beautiful for me to hear you say this, but you're just like, you just think I'm so awesome the way I am. Yes. And I, I have to say like kudos to the Orthodox community because I was so nervous about like not being as religious and how are people going to judge me and all these different things. And like, aside from a few individuals, but listen, there's always going to be those people. But for the most part, most people have been so lovely. That's true. They have been so lovely. They're like, Nahama, what are you talking about? We love you. We accept you no matter what. They're like, we're not perfect. And then they're like, oh, we have this family member who's not religious. And, and that's the amazing thing. We all sit here and think, oh, if it's an Orthodox family, every single person in there is like the biggest sage and the most religious person. And you know what? Everybody's got a story. Every family probably has a story. It's just they don't put it out there. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful because, like, for the first time, I feel like I could breathe, you know? Like, this is my journey. And in the end of the day, people are always going to have opinions because it's what we do as humanity, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in the end of the day, no one is going to have to wake up and live your life but you. And it's very easy for people to objectively look in on your life and judge you. And anyone who is incredibly judgmental of you and your lifestyle and your choices, to be honest, they're probably not so happy themselves because I know that I really don't care what people do or don't do. And it's not because I'm not particularly religious. It's in every topic. And the reason why I'm so accepting of people is because I'm really busy working on my own life. I'm trying to live my best life possible. Right. Why would I waste my energy judging others? So if anyone is doing that to you, you just have to think, is this really a person who I, who deserves me to care what they think? That's a good point. You know, like I said, you were the one person who I'm like, we got to talk this through. But also like kudos to my brothers because, you know, they don't live here. They don't see me. They haven't seen the transition. So when we see each other by the holidays, I called them up in each individually just to kind of explain my story to them, you know, explain where I'm at. And both my brothers were so accepting and so loving and like saying that they'll love and accept me no matter what. And I thought that was so beautiful. And it was such a relief for me, like all these years being so afraid to like be authentic and like, I like I was so scared to be anything but perfect. And so to know that people just love me for me, such a great feeling. Absolutely. So, you know, I know you love to take your surveys. You love to talk to everyone about, you know, their situation. So I know you definitely talk to other people about this. When, uh, without mentioning specifics and names, because we don't right. want to bring anyone else's story not. here without their permission. Yeah. But just in general, what would you say were some of the things that you would like to share with the audience people can learn from what not to do and what to do? Well, I think one of the most important things is to really listen to either your son or daughter 
when they're explaining their journey and their thoughts and their struggles and emotions and really listen, like don't interrupt them, let them get it out, however they need to get it out and however many conversations it takes. And also continue to love them. We're all children of God, every single one of us. And God loves us. We're his children. And, you know, we are taught to be godlike. And this is one of the aspects that we're supposed to be godlike. We should also be loving and accepting of our children. God accepts us for where we're at. We need to accept our children for where they're at. But in order to accept them, we really need to listen to them. And that's going to lead to loving them more as well. Mm. Yeah, no, it's true. And I had a friend who's still religious and, you know, she's she like the more traditional route, right? Like she got married, she has kids and she has a daughter and she she asked me, she was like, when I went on this journey and it was like clear that it was more of a permanent situation, it wasn't just me blowing off some steam. She was like, what can I do essentially so that my daughter doesn't end up like what happened to you? Ouch. Literally. I mean, God bless her. She, yeah. you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think she knew how it came across when she asked the question. I definitely could see from her perspective why she was asking that question. It's valid. It did come off as pretty hurtful though, not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but I told her, I was like, in the end of the day, you can't control anyone. But all you can do as a parent, from my perspective, is to do what you did. Just be an example. Like be authentic. Love it. And... In the end of the day, when she becomes a teenager and a young adult, like hopefully she'll follow your ways. And if she doesn't, still love her because in the end of the exactly. day, she's still your daughter, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think your background is so interesting too because our family, I love like how rooted we are in St. Louis. And like, you know, we have more of like the Jewish story, which not a lot of people know about. But back – there's a debate in our family. I like to say that we came over in like the late 1800s. Some people in our family say it was like early 1900s, whatever. I'm saying late 1800s because it sounds cooler. So our family came over like late 1800s and we came from Europe. And, you know, a lot of Jews who came back in the day, when they came to America, it was like the melting pot. And they left Judaism behind in Europe because they were so tired of pogroms. They were so tired of anti-Semitism. Like all they wanted to do was to blend in. All they wanted to do was to not be hated for their faith. Right. And so they're like, here's America. This is our opportunity. And somehow our family ended up right in the middle of the U.S., St. Louis, Missouri. And my great great-grandfather, one of the things that was very near and dear to him, he was a very religious Jew and he was a very, we were like the foundation of why there's a religious community here in St. Louis, which is another fact that I'm very proud of and was also very hard for me when I wasn't being as religious because I'm like, I have such a strong heritage. It felt disrespectful, you know, but it's disrespectful to be anything but authentic. So that's my comfort to myself. But he would you know, like I said, every week he would get fired from his job because back in the day you had to work on Saturdays and our Sabbath, our Shabbos begins Friday evening and goes to an hour after sunset Mm -hmm. on Saturday night. And he would get fired every single week because he refused to work on Saturday. And everyone was like, you're crazy. This is America. We're not religious. Like you don't do this. 
give up and, and just be like us. Stop, stop holding on to the old ways. And he was like, no, this is who I am. This is what I do. And so every single week, he would get fired and it happened again and again and again, but he refused to budge on his values. And eventually he decided to open up his own business because he was tired of his values being, you know, told what they should be by someone else. And he had four daughters. One of them moved away from St. Louis when she got married, but the three who remained here, all three of his son-in-laws, he brought into his business. So they too would not have to be fired. And so that story I was always so proud of. So that's why Shabbos is one of the things that I tried to keep because I'm just really proud of beautiful where our family comes from. You're continuing the, uh, the legacy. Tradition, the legacy, right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's something to me. Like it's not just for other people. Like I'm standing on something, like standing on like the backs of giants. And I'm just really proud of it. But, you know, back then religious is different than religious today. Right. That's true. Religion back in the day was a little bit more chill. Mm-hmm. And so I would love if you could speak a little bit about your upbringing and your little rebellion when you were 12. <laughs> uh, famous story. Okay. So when I was growing up, I grew up in a modern Orthodox family. Um, we belonged to this synagogue called Young Israel. Um, very wonderful synagogue. And, um, you know, in terms of modesty, yeah, our necklines were were high, but we wore shorter sleeves. We wore, you know, maybe two inches above. You know, the women wore skirts and pants that were. And wait a minute, talk about that. The length of the skirts per se, and the dresses they were like two inches above the knee. And we, well, a lot of us wore pants, except when I turned twelve years old. Um, I and I was becoming a bat mitzvah. You know, I was becoming a a woman according to the Torah and taking on, you know, certain obligations and being responsible for certain things. Um, I was standing at the top of the stairs outside of my bedroom. And I took off my pants and I, as I'm throwing them down the stairs to my mother, I said, I'm not wearing pants anymore. And I really didn't. I mean, it's a little bit religious, a little bit feminine, to be honest with you. <laughs> I do have feminine reasons too, but yeah. So yeah. building off of that story, like, so I shared the story of my great grandfather and like his resilience and his determination and drive to keep Shabbos, and I'm inspired by that. But also personally, I love Shabbos. I yes. love resting. I love the food. Like, whenever I would in the past, because I haven't been perfect with Shabbos, there's been times when I've. To be perfectly honest, I've gone on my phone on Shabbos and I can tell you I really try not to anymore. And it's because it's crazy, but I've noticed that I have so much more anxiety during the week if I don't take those 25 hours to completely take a step away from the world. And I remember there was, I think it was um, Lori Palatnik. She's a, a, a Jewish speaker. She talked about how she didn't grow up religious and then she became religious. And the first time she ever kept Shabbos, she was a type A as well. And she said Shabbos was like the first time when she wasn't in control of everything. Like she literally just had to chill. <laughs> and she thought it was like, it was mind blowing to her. And when Shabbos was over, she's like, wow, look at that. God still ran the world without me. It's amazing. Um, you know, so that those are the kinds of things where like it's a tradition that I grew up with, but it was meaningful. So I still do it and I see the beauty and it adds value to my life. Right. But for example, hearing your story about not wearing the pants, you would think, oh, maybe that's an example of like a tradition and a legacy that would be strong for me. And you know what? 
Sometimes I do dress modest. It depends if it's cold outside and it depends on my mood. But sometimes I don't. It literally just depends. But I think for me, I just like to have, I like to have a little bit more freedom when it comes to that. I think I'm very creative. And like, right. so for me, it's like an expression and I just don't like to feel restricted. And I remember in high school, I had a teacher because part of like the modesty laws was you had to wear stockings. Mm-hmm. Even in like the summers, we'd be like pantyhose and stuff like that. Right. Um, and she would be like, you know, people dress less modestly in the summer, but it's not any cooler if you wear less clothes. Yes, it is. I'm still raving <laughs> about that one. I just want to say I hated the summer when I was younger and I dressed modestly. And now being able to wear like sandals and short sleeves and shorter skirts, love. Just love. I did try on pants though. And I will say it's not for me. Maybe that's because I threw my pants down Maybe the stairs. Maybe it's because you threw the yeah, pants never down the stairs. Know. You never know. I just, it didn't feel, I'm very feminine and girly. And yeah. it's just like, I remember I wore pants and I looked in the mirror. And I'm like, who is this person? I'm like, Ugh. I didn't like it. I did not, I did not like it. It wasn't for me. So I didn't do it. Yeah. But like, that's an example where like, maybe I'm not doing it for religious reasons, but like just the way I was brought up, like I wore skirts. So wearing pants is so weird to me. Yeah. And what's weird is like, but I'll see non-Jewish girls wearing pants and it's not weird to me to see them wearing pants. Right. But it's not for me. It could be a feminine thing too though. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. They do say like, you know, I have a lot of friends who like aren't Jewish and like a lot of us are trying to tap into like our inner feminine mm-hmm. and a big part of that they say is you should try to wear more skirts and dresses. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of variety out there. There really is. It's coming back into fashion. Yep. Has been for years now, but you know, yeah. I'm a little bit late with the trends. It's okay. Better late than never. Just do my own thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's so fascinating. Like, there's so many different aspects to it. And um, it's scary to, like, branch out into a world that's different than the way you were raised because there's no path. You know, even if you have people who love you and support you no matter what, there's no one really guiding you. And so, like, sometimes I do think about Like right now, you know, I'm single. It's different. But like when I get married, when I have kids, what is my home going to look like? And I don't know. And I think that's okay. And that's okay for now. I think that's okay, period. I think a lot of people feel that they need to have the answers all the time. And I think it's okay to just take things as they come. But I do know that I just don't think it's going to be the way I was raised. I think I like my catchphrase that I love. This has yeah. been my go-to is Jews for joy. Yeah. Love you know it. what I mean? Like be proud of who you are. Mm-hmm. If you if you are born Jewish, statistically, I believe they say, I'm so bad with numbers, so if I'm wrong, let me know what the right statistics is. Look it up. Do your homework. But it's like 0.0001% are the chances that you could be born Jewish. And that's not even like Orthodox Jewish. That's just Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. You round you round that up, it's like we don't even exist. Yet as Jews, we have so much presence, right? Because yep. we have so much – we think we add so much value. We work so hard. Um, and so I, I don't think there are accidents. I truly don't. So I think if I was born Jewish, there's a purpose behind it. And so that's my mission now. My mission is how to live – a Jewish life that's purpose-driven, that is meaningful for me. And I'll take all this journey will take me where it takes me, you know, but I'm not trying to fit a specific box and I'm not going to do things for other people anymore. And it has been so freeing. Mm-hmm. 
Is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap up? Um, don't think so. Okay. You did great. I know this do was... Wanna, do you want to hear my inspirational saying? I was going to get to She's that. She's getting there. She knows the drill. Um, this is the first episode, so you guys don't know the drill yet, but the purpose of this podcast is that we can learn from everyone. And so we kind of, we did jump into a really deep, sensitive topic on the first episode, and uh, we really hope that you guys took away something from this episode. And I really appreciate that you were brave and that you came on here and you agreed to speak with me. It has done me a world of good and I appreciate you and I love you so much. I love you too. And for everyone out there, there is this Hebrew saying that says, which means one who is wise is one who learns from everyone. So we're not here to judge. We're not here to, you know, leave any mean comments or anything like that. We're here to sit back, observe and learn and add value. That's the community that I want to build. And so, you know, each episode is going to be totally different. This it's called Jew from the Lou. It's not specifically a Jewish based podcast. I just happen to be a Jew from the Lou and this is my mom. We had to start here because I wouldn't mm -hmm. be here without her. So on that note, I am going to start the tradition at the end mm -hmm. of each episode to ask my guest if they can share an inspirational quote or saying that has left an impact on their life. Okay. Not only, by the way, before I share it, not only does this have an impact on my life, but I and resonate with within my soul very deeply. Um, I feel that this also relates to the subject of our podcast. So it says in Ethics of Our Father, Al Tadin Eschavercha Achetagelim Kamo. Do not judge your fellow man unless you have stepped into his or her shoes. Mm. Again, back to the subject of not judging a person. Each each individual person on this earth has a different personality is coming from a different background has a different story and we have to be open to that and be careful not to judge them i love that and uh karma's a bitch i'm just gonna say it like anytime i've ever judged anyone i unfortunately i have ended up in their position so true and then all of a sudden you're like oh well maybe maybe they were doing the best that they could with what they had so let's just be a little gentler and kinder, kinder, kinder <laughs> to the people around us. Amen. Thank you so much for being my first guest. I loved having you on. Thank you for having me. And you guys, this is going to be a podcast that's going to continue on. We know these are deep conversations, so we're going to try to do it every other week to start. You could find us everywhere where there's podcasts. If you want to see the video format and you're not currently watching the video format, you could find that on YouTube. And we will see you guys next time. I hope you guys have a great week and treat each other kindly. Let's get it. Let's go.